Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 88. Psalm 88, please give your careful attention to the reading of God's word. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, for the choir director, according to Mahalath Leonoth, a mascal of Heman the Ezrahite. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul has had enough troubles and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths. Your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me, with all your waves. <coughs> Selah. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Selah. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness, and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 88 is known as the darkest psalm, as a psalm that is unrelenting in terms of its uh, 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 posture, in terms of begging for mercy and not ever moving towards that, that point of praise or thanksgiving. You will often find in Psalms of Lament that perhaps in the last verse or perhaps somewhere in the middle of the psalm, there's a turn. That the psalmist who has been crying out in anguish expresses uh, what he is suffering before the Lord and then also says something like, but I will trust in you. In Psalm 88, we don't have a turn like that. Now, it's not to say that this is a psalm that has no confidence or trust in it. 
It certainly does, in as much as the psalmist is praying, in as much as he addresses the Lord as by his covenant name as the Lord, and he calls him the God of my salvation. So this is a psalm of trust, and yet it's different from the other psalms in how dark it is. In fact, this is a psalm in which darkness is literally the last word. All my acquaintances, darkness. Charles Spurgeon describes uh, the, the author of this psalm as a man of deep experience who had done business on the great waters of soul trouble. A man who had done business on the great waters of soul trouble. This evening, we get to look into the life of one who has done business on those waters. One who knows the waters of soul trouble very, very well. In the age of sail, captains and pilots would keep logbooks, journals. We can think of Psalm 88 as being something like somebody who has been navigating those waters of soul trouble. And here we have an entry from that journal, an entry from that record that describes the woe that he has seen. And so this evening I would, I would like for us to, to consider this, this soul trouble that the psalmist has faced. And as we do so, I'll take it up under Four points and then uh, some points of application after that. But as we, we unpack and, and appreciate the psalm, we'll take it up under the, the following points. <clears throat> that the psalmist encounters daily suffering. That the psalmist encounters deadly suffering. That he is the object of of God's anger, and that he is objectionable to his companions. So if you want to, if you're taking notes or keeping an outline, the, the four key words that can kind of help you as we, we go along are daily, deadly, object, and objectionable. The psalmist cries out daily. Verses one and two, you see this, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. Again, in verse nine, towards the end, I have called upon you every day, O Lord, I have spread out my hands to you. And again in verse 13, but I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. So as we read through this psalm, we get this idea of a, a chronic daily coming before God in prayer because the suffering is unrelenting. These, these references to the psalmist's daily prayer might be taken as, as structural elements within the psalm. You could divide it into three sections on that basis. So I, I mentioned that just 
perhaps as, as a point of clarity. But consider also just how the, the, the passage of time uh, is brought out by these repeated references, day and night, every day, and by morning. A soul trouble that is unrelenting. A soul trouble that doesn't just last a week. A soul trouble that is chronic. Day and night, every day, and by morning. In the psalm, we find the psalmist day after day and night by night crying out to God. And when the sun rises and gets out of bed in the morning, the first thing that the sun sees is the psalmist on his knees and with outstretched hands pleading to God for mercy. <clears throat> Further, the, the turmoil, the agony, the suffering that the psalmist faces is deadly. There is an emphasis on the grave uh, thoroughly throughout this entire psalm. Consider verses 4 through 6. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths. So the psalmist in this is, is near to death, even, even reckoned as one who is already dead. They're dividing his estate even before he has breathed his last. So further emphasis on the realm of the dead, verses 10 through 12. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon, the place of destruction? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness? and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. So death is here described as a pit, Sheol, Abaddon, the place of destruction, darkness. It's also described as watery, as a watery deep. Verses 6 and 7, at the, the very end of verse 6, in the dark places, in the depths, that's that's watery depths. That's a watery abyss. Verse 7, you're, you have afflicted me with all your waves. And again in verse 17, speaking of the Lord's terrors that have surrounded him, they have surrounded me like water all day long. A description of God's anger as though it were an inundating flood that drags one down to the lowest parts of the earth. It's almost as though in this psalm we have a view of what it would be like on the outside of Noah's Ark. What would it be like to be praying a prayer to God for deliverance on the outside? And the fountains of the deep are opened up and you run for higher ground. You cry out by day and by night. 
And yet there's only more storm clouds and more rain, and the water level continues to rise. And the water judgment of God comes up to your neck, and you find yourself inundated by his anger. It's almost as though this psalm gives us a view of what it would be like to be crossing the Red Sea at the moment when Moses raises his hands and the sea returns to its normal course, deluging the the Egyptian army. But the difference being that in this psalm, it's not an enemy. It's the psalmist. It's the one who calls God by his covenant name and calls him the God of my salvation. And yet the floodwaters come in on him. It is deadly, and associated with this deadly suffering, it is dark. Again, you see an emphasis on darkness within this psalm. Verse 6, again, in dark places is where God has put the psalmist. Verse 7, excuse me, in verse 12, will your wonders be made known in the darkness? And again, in verse 18, you have removed my beloved and friend far from me. My acquaintances are darkness. And even, uh, perhaps we can understand verse 9, My eye has wasted away because of affliction. But the eye being wasted does not see properly. He is blinded by affliction, by grief, by tears. And he cannot see any light. Thirdly, we can consider the psalmist's soul trouble. And that he is an object of anger. Of God's anger. As he is describing how near he is to death, uh, in beginning in verse 6, he describes how God is the one who is actively doing this. How it is God who is actively drawing him and, and putting him in this situation. You have put me in the lowest pit. Verse 7, your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. As it relates to his acquaintances, you have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. And again in verses 15 through 18, I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. In verse 18, you have removed beloved and friend far from me. Not simply that God is absent, that there are enemies who are surrounding, and that God seems aloof, but the distress is that he seems oh so present and actively against the psalmist. And this causes the psalmist to say that his soul in verse 3 is full of troubles. A soul 
that can't fit any more trouble inside it. This is the, the sharpest aspect of the pain is when God himself seems to be against one of his saints, one of his beloved ones. There's a <clears throat> such a striking image in here. The psalmist describes himself as stretching his arms out in prayer to the Lord, pleading with him, pleading every day with him. And yet he also describes his situation as one who has been cut off from God's hand. While the psalmist stretches his hands out to God, he also describes God as having cast him off. The hand that should support and uphold does not seem to be there anymore, has been removed. An unreciprocated direction of the hands. Like a child crying out to his father for comfort. And the father, instead of likewise extending his hands out to pick up the child, sticks his hand out like this. <clears throat> Last of all, the psalmist experiences soul trouble because he is not only an object of God's anger, but because he is objectionable to his companions, verses 8 and 18. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. And verse 18, you have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are darkness. It can be very painful be lonely, but there's a certain species of loneliness that I think is most painful of all, and that's not just the loneliness that comes from not being able to find somebody to sympathize with you, but the loneliness of having at one point had those who were close to you, and then they forsake you, they shun you. You thought that they would be there for you. And then in your hour of need, they withdraw. A loneliness, but not just a loneliness, a forsakenness, an abandonment by his companions and those that are near. Such is the soul trouble of the psalmist. Have you done business on those waters yourself? As we interpret this psalm moving to application, we need to see how the psalm is fulfilled in the sufferings of Christ. We will make application to ourselves as well. But we, we first need to consider our Savior. 
For those of you who have run track and field in high school or who have had kids run in track and field, you may have seen a 400 meter dash at some point. And the track is 400 meters uh, around. And you might, as a, 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 a somebody running, you might want to cut across the infield to the 200 meter mark and then finish the race from there. That would be the, the easier way to take a shortcut in the race. In the psalm, we might want to, to go and, and make a, a direct application to ourselves, but we can't shortcut Christ. We can't shortcut that first step of seeing how this psalm comforts us as it is speaking prophetically of our Savior. Consider how all of this psalm speaks so directly and clearly to the life of Christ. The psalmist complains that he has been dying from his youth up in verse 15. Christmas season, we remember that Jesus, from his youth up, from being a toddler, was on the run because kings were after his life. From his youth up, he was one pursued by his enemies. The psalmist references his constant and daily life of prayer coming before God over and over again. And this reminds us of our Savior's constant prayer, but especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed by night, pleading with the Father, even while his disciples slept. Like our psalm, he pleads with the Father for deliverance. Take this cup, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And yet, as the psalm indicates, there's, there's going to be not a turning away from death, but even a, a passage into death. The psalmist says in verse 3 that he has a soul, a life full of troubles. And Jesus, in talking with Peter, James, and John, began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. A soul so filled with trouble, a soul so distressed that it's distressed to the point of dying. You have put my acquaintance far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. This describes the life of Christ as he is rejected and shunned. Judas betrays him. The disciples scatter. Peter particularly denies him. But then we also read in the gospel accounts, and especially Luke, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance. Do you hear the loneliness and the rejection in that, that even as there, there may be a, a love still for Christ, it's not just a, a description of how many yards away they were, but there's a, a relational distance that that expresses. <laughs> that all his acquaintances and the women who had served him, who had ministered to his needs, now stand far away. 
Our psalm speaks of the anger of God as plunging him into a watery abyss. And Jesus describes his death on the cross in, in these words, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And that Jesus describes what he suffers on the cross as a baptism, as a, a flood that he must undergo. He is left to experience the full weight of God's wrath as he becomes the sin bearer, as he becomes the curse for us. The psalmist speaks of anger, uh, of God's anger coming upon him. One writer describes it as as like the weight of a mountain crushing a worm. You think of it as as like an empty pop can under a hydraulic press. And yet Jesus, as the God-man, sustains this wrath. The psalmist speaks of how he is in darkness. And Jesus, as he suffers, suffers in Gethsemane by night. And though he is crucified during the day, the sun is darkened. For three hours. And as he is taken down from the cross, from the perspective of those around him, he only enters into further darkness as he's taken to the tomb. The stone is placed in front of the entryway and it's sealed and it is dark. So we can understand the the man of deep experience who has done business on the waters of soul trouble as being none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. That he has taken these words, and these are his own words, these are words that speak prophetically about him and his sufferings, so that we might be delivered from death, so that we might sing the praises of God, so that the praises of God would not be silenced by the grave, but that we might see God's deliverance and praise him for it in resurrection of life. So there is a unique way that the psalm applies to Christ in a way that we will not experience. Nevertheless, that does not mean that this isn't also a psalm for us. To return to the image of running in a a race, uh, the interpretive race, there's there's one thing you can do wrong, that's cutting across the infield to, to skip Christ. The other thing that can go wrong is that you start off the race well, but you don't pace yourself. You run the first 200 meters really, really well, and then you stop. Then you forget to make application to yourself as a Christian. We cannot stop running the interpretive race prematurely, but having seen how it is fulfilled in Christ, we need to also see how it applies within our lives, how this is a psalm for suffering saints on troubled waters, too. At one point, when I was myself on those waters, a friend and mentor encouraged me with Psalm 91. Psalm 91 speaks of taking shelter in the shadow of the Almighty and how Uh, Thousands will fall 
uh, on one side and how there will be a wasting plague, but how it will not approach you. And I, I didn't say this out loud, but I thought it in my head. I, I thought, well, this is speaking prophetically of Jesus. This isn't speaking prophetically about James. This is speaking prophetically about Jesus. Can I claim these promises for myself? If I could speak to myself then, from the perspective of now, I would say, and who are you? Are you not a Christian? It speaks of Christ. But are you not a member of Christ's body? Are you not one spirit with Christ? Do you not share in Christ's anointing? On another occasion, <clears throat> preparing uh, some illustration in a sermon, some introduction, I was researching Lady Jane Grey, a monarch who reigned for but nine days, and she was beheaded, but a, a Protestant monarch beheaded. Now she went to the uh, block to have her head chopped off, she said, Lord, into, the, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And I remember reading that and thinking, it's kind of pretentious, isn't it? Is taking the words of Jesus, you know, does she see herself as some sort of Messiah figure? And then realizing at some later point that that's also what Stephen says when he's martyred or something very similar to it. Both of those uh, statements coming from Psalm 31. It's a statement that Christ makes, but it's also a statement for Christians. That it is something Stephen can say. It is something Lady Jane Grey can say. And Psalm 88 is something that you can say and sing. And so recognize that this psalm as we have interpreted as fulfilled in Christ is something that you can also take on your lips when you are experiencing great, deep, and unrelenting anguish and distress. Perhaps it'll be when you're very sick and close to death that you will find that these words are the, just the words that you need. Or perhaps it'll be <clears throat> when you recall some sin that you've committed and it burns your conscience and it shakes your assurance and you plead with God and you plead with God for a long, long time to restore the light of his countenance. But this psalm will give you the words to speak. And the joy of... <clears throat> Singing this song in Christ is knowing that we will never sing it alone. There's only one person who's ever had to sing Psalm 88 as a soul. You may pray these words at home, you may sing these words at home alone with no one else around. But at most, you sing it as a duet. Often, <clears throat> you may even sing it as part of, of a large choir of saints who have also done much business on the waters of soul trouble.
I'll conclude uh, with this. <clears throat> Just one, one final reflection on using Psalm 88 within our own lives and the, the feeling of abandonment that can come when we have companions who forsake us. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in being conformed to Christ's image, begins to have a life that looks like Christ's. And so, as Jesus was put on trial and gave testimony, so Paul is put on trial and he must give testimony concerning Christ. And as Jesus was forsaken by his disciples, Paul says that at his first trial, he was left alone. Everybody who was with him abandoned him. Then he says, but the Lord stood by me. And that's the spirit that we can take up Psalm 88 for ourselves as well, even as we speak about companions who may forsake us, even as we speak about not finding anybody who can relate to the deep anguish that we are experiencing, nobody who seems to get that deep soul sorrow. And we might say, everybody has abandoned me. Yet we can still say in Christ, the Lord stood by me, even in the darkness. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the sufferings that he underwent willingly on our behalf. And truly, those were dark and distressing sorrows which we cannot plumb the depths of. And yet, we still are often grieved in this life and so we thank you that we have a psalm like this and a Savior of whom the psalm prophetically speaks to comfort us in our sojournings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.